Welcome to Frankly Speaking. This is a new podcast on responsible business by Frank Bold, the European public interest law firm. I'm Richard Howitt, and after several years of debating responsible business issues inside the European Parliament, I'm hosting our discussions on the latest political, legal and business developments in the field of corporate sustainability, business and human rights. We speak frankly and personally about what moves policymakers, business and activists to make responsible business the norm. Today, Frankly Speaking welcomes Isabel Sherman, Confederal Secretary of the European Trade Union Confederation since 2019. The ETUC represents 45 million members in around 90 national trade union confederations in 30 nine countries and it's the first time we've had a trade unionist or frankly speaking and we're delighted to welcome Isabel who's been playing a leading role in proposals around corporate transparency and due diligence in Europe and, and is a member of the standard setting board at the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group that is setting European sustainability standards. Previously, Isabel was principal advisor to the regulatory scrutiny board of the European Commission and senior researcher at the European Trade Union Institute. Isabel, welcome to Frankly Speaking. Thank you. Thank you so much for your invitation. Thank you for having me today. You're very, very welcome. Now, let's start off very high level, very general, where trade unions stand on responsible business conduct. I've met trade unionists who are very suspicious of the responsible business agenda. They say, just give us freedom of association and collective bargaining and leave it to us. We'll do the, do the rest. And then I've met trade union leaders, including the late Neil Kearney from what is today industrial, who really use responsible business conduct to open up the debate on global supply chains. Sharon Burrow, the, the outgoing General Secretary of the ITUC, has been absolutely brilliant on these issues. Where, where do you see trade unions as standing on responsible business conduct? I think I, I, I do see the trade movement on the offensive. I think we need to uh... We need to make a difference. We are the time of, of, of being able to make a difference together with uh, a large range of uh, civil society requesting business to do business differently than business has been done so far. And in particular, to put the people and the planet before the profit and uh, for the profitability uh, and the competitiveness dimension. I think we clearly need to, uh, to have these, those dimensions back. And this is the reasons why uh, we we do fight for human rights uh, and responsible business conduct being uh, being two uh, two sides uh, of the same count. And to to workers, to the actual members of the trade unions you represent, do they really share that sentiment? Do they want to see planet first, or are they not worried about their job tomorrow and how much money is in their wage packet? No, they do. They they really do. Just to give you to give you an idea, we uh, we uh, mobilized already 2019 as we understood that the Commission was serious in moving ahead with uh, with uh, corporate uh, sustainability due diligence, so to say, looking at what France uh, did with the devoir de vigilance and what other member states like Germany, um, uh, like Belgium, ongoing Spain and, and the Netherlands. So we we were very much. Uh, uh, preparing ourselves. And in 2019, we took a resolutions uh, at the ETUC 
at the unanimity. So to tell you that everyone in Europe, uh, every worker and workers' representatives uh, and their trade unions, they are uh, really much looking into what's next because we can't we can't have a status quo by which uh, business decide with whom, on what, and when uh, they would like or not to comply with human rights. As you talk about that, that. Um, Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive CS Triple D. Um, you you launched a very high profile campaign about that uh, uh, called Justice is Everybody's Business with a hundred trade unions and civil society partners, and you set up uh, uh, some weighing scales outside of the Justice Lipsius European Council building in Brussels to try to illustrate the importance of campaign and justice within that campaign. Can, can you tell us why that particular proposal is so important to you and your members? It's important because we uh, we we have to make sure that um, there is you know there is a common understanding that uh, human rights are universal. It's not just an opt-in on an out opt-out kind of situations by which business could uh, comply or not complied with uh, rights that uh, in principle uh, are there to guarantee the basics for the health and safety of the workplace, the guarantee the basis in terms of uh, not abusing working time, um, but also making sure that we have no children working for businesses just because it's, 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 it's to get the cheapest price ever for the, the product. And here, I think we are, we are in the way of being able to making uh, a principle of the ILO, which is labor is not a commodity legally binding for any uh, good business operating in the world. And I think this is for us um, also an evolution in terms of the recognitions of the European social model. The fact that the social partnership and the role of the trade unions as anchored in the Treaty of the European Union is not just word on the paper. It's exactly uh, having uh, an effective dimension at the workplace level. Uh, and uh, and we also hear echo not just I would say although it's a lot the 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 voices of of the workers but we do also um, relay uh, the demands of civil society and just again here to give you a very clear concrete example the commission had to launch a consultations on whether this initiative would make sense and whether you know it would be an of added value for the European Union. And thanks to the campaign with the NGOs, we were able to mobilize 150,000 replies to go and to say we have to have a, uh, a legally binding proposal by the Commission that make the difference uh, in comparison to the UN guiding principle, for example, on uh, human rights and, and business conduct, because all of those are still voluntary and all of those guidelines in principle uh, move on uh, are based on the unilateral way to business for business to decide whether or not to 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 move on certain and not all human rights dimension that uh, are potentially uh, you know they are facing in their operations uh, and this is this is a recognition that there are limits to those guidelines and those limits are exactly to move from voluntary to the legally binding dimension from the unilateral to the partnership, and this is where the trade unions and the workers as constituencies of business have a role to play and a proactive role to play. And of course, you and your team are watching 
the progress of that directive as it goes through the European Council and the European Parliament. Uh, and it's at a very interesting stage of negotiation at the moment. What would be your, your comment on the most up-to-date versions that you're seeing and, and the key arguments that you're putting forward? So the, uh, the the good news was last week, Wednesday, but there was a vote in the uh, Employment and, and Social Affairs Committee of the European Parliament to set up the mandate per apple for the European Parliament to go to Trilogue. Uh, we hope the second half of this year. Uh, and here, uh, the, the vote uh, at the large majority uh, recognized the specific role of trade unions and the specific role of workers' representatives throughout the whole supply chain and, uh, and also in acting in uh, uh, what business should put in place in terms of the plan or strategy on due diligence. So for us, it was key, it was also key to recognize that um, workers and the communities are victims and those victims should have a uh, facilitated access uh, to, uh, to, to justice. So here, uh, it's not about incentivizing business to comply with existing rights, it's about providing for the victims necessary uh, the necessary support and it's also a point which for us is also key is the scope so how many and how how many businesses uh, should be part of this uh, of this initiative and the, the, the broader the scope the better and uh, here we 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 are also quite um, quite uh, happy to see that uh, there is no restriction in terms of for, for example the financial institutions because Access to investment is key, and if this access to investment is conditioned on the way uh, how business comply with human rights, is is for us uh, very important uh, to make sure that uh, there is no financing of business uh, models that are undermining uh, workers' rights and uh, and human rights and environmental rights too. Yes, well, I think it, uh, personally it was a mistake when. There was an earlier suggestion that investment was excluded. Uh, we'll see how that one finally resolves. And uh, as someone who is involved in all of the debates around uh, the UN guiding principles on persistent human rights at the time in the Human Rights Council, uh, um, the access to justice pillar is the one that has been least realised. And that said year after year at mm -hmm. the UN Annual Forum. And it's great to see Europe acting. But it is Europe acting. And you talked in your earlier answer about social Europe and social Europe values. And I'm sure some of our frankly speaking listeners will be comparing that to other editions of this podcast where we've talked about forced labor, weaker forced labor in China, or we've talked about uh, construction workers that aren't give, well, given adequate health and safety in Qatar around the World Cup or, you know, older, but iconic examples like the Rana Plaza factory fire, fire or the poisoning at San Bhopal. And, and people will wonder, can this stuff, this due diligence stuff, really make a difference on the ground? And they will wonder, can work, um, action by European-based companies and by European partners, European Union, the European trade unions, actually, will it make a difference at that on-the-ground level at the term of global supply chains to save mm -hmm. lives and to improve the quality of people's lives. Mm -hmm. Do you feel optimistic about that? I, I do. I do. I, th I think it's not the only instrument we need. Uh, and, and of course, uh, we, will we will need to also mainstream this instrument, for example, in the trade agreements. 
uh, when you know when the European Union is, is dealing or is, is negotiating trade agreements with with third countries. But um, but I do think that that here we will we will be able to make to make a difference uh, in particular in in raising the level playing field for businesses. Uh, to allow businesses who are doing good businesses, who are complying already with those, not to be in competition with others who do not. And we have uh, we have a range of businesses who are uh, clearly very much interesting in having legislations. Um, and it's in conjunction with other initiatives. Um, you mentioned the the, the point on, on on forced labor, and there is a pending initiative, uh, legislative initiative in, in in the European Commission for the moment. But we have already uh, other kind of due diligence framework, legislative framework that, that have already made the difference. And I would like to mention, for example, conflict mineral regulations by which, uh, you know, the extractions of certain minerals, um, uh, have to comply with, with, uh, fundamental rules, uh, and in particular, uh, some related to the social way and the social dimension and the way those products are, are extracted and manufactured. And uh, of course, the discussions we have currently on the safe harbor, uh, whereby businesses should just show that they've done their best. Uh, and uh, if violations have happened, then it's kind of bad luck. Uh, that cannot, that cannot be uh, the situations. Uh, and this is one of the, I would say, downsides of the discussions we have for the moment is the attempt by certain businesses, I would say, or business associations to um, downgrade or to empty certain elements of their liability, which is, of course, if there isn't obligations and you have no kind of sanctions or liability, then you have no obligations. And we, we have to understand that uh, this is exactly the move to be done to move towards a legally binding issue whereby, uh, if there is no compliance, there are sanctions. And business cannot tell me why they cannot make the quality check, the, the same quality check to how uh, what kind of working conditions were related uh, to the production of that uh, that spare bar? So, so in principle, the the you know the discussions are of um, or the you know the, the point that businesses do not know their supplier, nor their supply chain. It's 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 not valid, I think. And this is where I'm hopeful that we could we could go so far as, as far as possible for us in terms of reaching out to workers um, everywhere in the world. And that. That shift from being able to legislate around the quality of a product and have standards around the quality of product to uh, doing so around the quality of the process by which the product is produced has been a huge debate over some years and it definitely is changing. Isabel, you've talked eloquently about both due diligence for companies and in the last answer about using trade measures to support um, high environmental and labour standards. We haven't talked yet about your role on the Sustainability Reporting Board in Europe and the new standards that have been published and will be become delegated acts um, in June of this year, uh, including standards on for companies to report on their own workforce, but very interestingly, on the workforce of their value chain. Just give us a few insights to what you think is good about those proposals uh, uh, that you've personally and on behalf of ETUC contributed to. So we've been we've been working together with uh, 
colleagues at the different uh, level within the EFRAC, so within these expert groups, uh, to uh, to put on the table a set of, uh, of, of requirements that would be for their own forces of uh, multinational, but also for the suppliers, and of course, uh, to try to um, to align those requirements and. Uh, for us also to make sure that it is not a ticking box exercise. That's something that uh, makes sense and for which we, uh, of course, have to, um, to make sure that, uh, that it delivers in terms of the quality of the reporting, but also in the transparency and the access. Um, and the last point is, of course, um, on the access is the use we can do as stakeholders and, and for us as constituencies of businesses. And all of these informations, um, we, uh, as you, as you mentioned, is still in the process of being adopting, adopted. And, uh, we are working now on the sector level, um, for, 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 for targeting certain, uh, requirements, um, reporting requirement for certain activities. So um, I think here, this is, uh, one of the elements that we complement the due diligence, uh, plan or strategy that business will have to put in place is that here there will be also a set of, uh, data, a set of evidence, a set of, uh, um, uh, possibility to compare also, which is important, uh, in terms of, uh, hopefully in, in, in short period of time, Possibly to be able to set targets for for businesses uh, to be to be rich in terms potentially like we had in the recently in the European to set uh, a target for the coverage of collective bargaining uh, along the line of, of 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 the directive on on adequate minimum wage. I was last week with the trade and the UN and the EU trade and technology council. And the topic was exactly due diligence and, and, and how to best uh, align and try to move forward together in terms of uh, not just supply chain going out of the European, but also the supply chain going out of, uh, of the US and where those connect uh, and how to use trade as an additional vehicle for due diligence. So I'm, I, I think this is where uh, we we will move businesses toward an upward convergence in terms of not only the setting of the reporting standards, but the use and the use by civil society of those data, which are key uh, in terms of understanding, but also in terms of uh, monitoring uh, what works, what does not work, and where uh, some of the risks might be so high that we have to act very quickly and uh, also to make sure that uh, the human rights dimension is uh, not just a nice to have element in a strategy, but uh, but is 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 linked to compliance, is linked to obligations, uh, is linked to the way to do business, which cannot be just profit based, but has to respect um, the society, the people, and, and the planet. And um, we we uh, hope to go and look at US developments in more detail in a later version of this Frankly Speaking podcast. Your point about the value chain standard in particular, when I read it, it look, when it, it looks eminently possible, it doesn't lay down such a level of detail for companies that I think they're going to to find it difficult. But um, I really hope that it will move the dial in terms of companies engaging with workforce in the value chain, uh, in their value chain, uh, and some basic reporting on issues around impact 
uh, I do outredress when things go wrong. Uh, I do see it myself as a huge step forward. So congratulations for your work on that. Now, now we've talked about about Europe and the European social model and some ills in the rest of the world that we're trying to to use to influence and to change. But as trade unionists and as human rights campaigners and organizations, so often in the rest of the world, we're looking at a more repressive, more authoritarian uh, environment in which activists are having to to operate. And so we're seeing these very progressive policies being brought forward in Europe and in, in America. But um, for example, your own general secretary was um, expelled from Tunisia recently for speaking out and speaking openly and honestly. Uh, and, you know, as many of our listeners will know, there have been accusations that Qatar has um, uh, used undue influence uh, themselves to try and um, uh, avoid uh, censure or, or criticism, which have, have gone into the world of politics, but also into the world of trade unions as well. So when do you see, see those developments? Can Europe make a difference? How do you respond to that with, to your fellow trade union men and women partners around the world? What's your message there? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, um, it's, it's a very valid point. And I think, uh, who else than the trade unions has the, the answers to that in terms of not using violence and, and promoting uh, democracy and democracy at work? That's what we do best. And, uh, and, and uh, I was a bit struck having to explain that labor is not a commodity, that is a principle at the highest level ever in, in, in the world. I was also... Um, surprised to have to make the very simple equations that trade unions and workers rights equal human rights. Um, but when you've done that, uh, you empower not only your own affiliates and, 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 you know, their, their work, the workers they represent, but also, but also the communities around the families. Um, you empower them to exercise their basic rights, which, which has, of course, uh, the freedom of associations, the freedom of expressions, and uh, and of course this is uh, I would say this is our core business, and this is what what we do best, and this is the reasons why the the TUC has been moving so much in terms of uh, promoting and uh, defending uh, the effective exercise of democracy at the workplace. Uh, this is this is for us also the vehicle to I would say empower the workers to also make the use of their democratic rights outside the business when they have to go and elect uh, responsible uh, politicians uh, and 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 the development in their communities up to their uh, to their to their country and this is this is the way forward this is the way forward and and it's it's clearly to oppose any authoritarian regime uh, this is the way also the ETUC is very strong against the development of the far right uh, as a, a real uh, um, enemy of, of democracy. And, uh, and this is where uh, ahead of, uh, of uh, the ETC Congress in, in a couple of weeks, uh, 
we have been mobilizing and we will be very strong on those two elements. So we, we are a human rights defender and we are, we are basing our actions uh, on democracy, on the effective exercise of democratic rights uh, and with uh, a strong alliance with democratic uh, parties uh, also in the European Parliament. Uh, we are very strong on that um, uh, to indeed to build uh, the next uh, very short to very long future for the society. That's the only way forward. That's a, a, a telling plea for democracy to be part of responsible business for everyone involved. One final question, because time is running against us, but a lot of our listeners are not, they're not day to day coming into contact with trade unions. So you, when you talk, your, your member unions talk with businesses, they talk with the people responsible for human resources or industrial relations. But a lot of people who listen to this podcast, they're sustainability people. Uh, and they probably want a bit of advice on how to talk to trade unions and how to involve involve them. So, what's your what's your simple explanation to them who may not have experience in working with unions, but what genuinely want to? How they can effectively engage, approach, and engage when it's not part of a formal industrial relations system within the company. Well, I think we are quite quite easy, easy accessible people and, and friendly people. We are very constructive, and uh, I would say we have a, a very open door kind of policy, uh, and we are very open uh, to uh, to any group of society that uh, work along the lines of uh, um, full respect of 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 the people at workplace and also uh, sharing these values of uh, uh, democratic values um, so the access should be easy uh, it should be not loaded with the uh, ideological views of uh, you know <laughs> what we what we usually can hear are the kind of uh, uh, the bad image of, of trade unions that's that's very wrong and i think we are very much into innovation innovation that delivers for people so we are very much uh, looking for innovations that respect the people in terms of the precautionary principle. You don't put a product on the market without knowing that it's safe, for example, for, for, for the consumer. Uh, likewise, you don't put a, a machine at the workplace without knowing that it's safe for workers who has to operate it. So um, be reassured that, uh, that we are very much looking into uh, business uh, and, and to the contribution of business uh, in, in, in a very constructive and positive way. Um, and I think here, uh, our input uh, in the um, in society and our input in, uh, in the way we want to create uh, and to maintain and shape uh, the future for, for the young generations um, is uh, in a full respect of, of, of every individual's. Uh, but also in full respect that um, there is unbalance of power in society and that we are here to redress this balance and to be on an equal footing with those having uh, other kind of powers. Uh, and of course, uh, here um, in, in a very, in a very, I would say, 
open-minded, uh, open-minded uh, way to 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 look at to look at things with the full respect of of the workers' rights. Uh, I would say, as in court at uh, the highest level, as I mentioned, the ILO, uh, uh, but uh, but also here in Europe. Um, and I would like to stress that the trade unions, like the employers' associations are recognized as co-legislators in the Treaty of the European Union. So the constitutions of the European Union recognize and give the status of a co-legislator to um, the, uh, the trade unions and the employers' associations to bargain collectively the way forward for, uh, for workers and businesses in the single market. And this is something which is uh, potentially unique as as a region uh, to 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 be so strong on what does the european social model means isabel you've been very accessible and engaging and positive and constructive today so you've illustrated that to to our audience you've made the point that human rights are not just a nice to have that labor is not a commodity and that trade unions themselves are human rights defenders and promoters of democracy. It's been a fascinating uh, conversation. Thank you very much to Isabel Sherman. Sadly, we have come to the end of this podcast, but we would like to invite all of our audience to tell us what you think. Uh, send us your feedback to franklyspeaking at frankbold.org. And of course, please share this conversation. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking, the Frank Bold podcast on responsible business. Watch out for our next episode and find out more about Frank Bold's Responsible Companies section on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Thank you again to Isabel and to all of you for joining us. Do join us next time and goodbye. <music>